the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, I am just delighted and privileged to have sitting across from me uh, someone whose legacy in the conservative movement, whose family's legacy in the conservative movement in the Republican Party. I'll just say, well, our modern movement wouldn't be here without his family and without him. He has served in Congress, my gosh, for about uh, 15, 16 years, if I'm not mistaken. He'll correct me on anything I get wrong. I think of him as my teacher. He is Congressman John Shattuck. And uh, John, Congressman, it's a delight to have you in the studio. Thank you for being with us today, sir. You're the teacher for all of us, as, as I listen to your show very often. <laughs> Class dismissed. <laughs> so I'm not your, your teacher, but you certainly I are. have some knowledge of some things. And you nailed it. It was 16 years. And uh, it was 16 years of a lot of fun because fighting uh, what I thought that in that day were the crazies was was a privilege. Yeah. And now they've just gone completely off the deep end. Yeah. But but even back in those days, you know, it was it, it was good to be there. It was good to try to drag them back toward rea- re- reality. Uh the East Coast just leans so far to the left that uh it it was a special time to be there and to watch Newt uh try uh, which he did valiantly. We balanced the budget for several years. Uh, nobody even knows what that means anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was a great fight to be in with a lot of uh, good people, uh, and uh, I enjoyed it very much. But the battle goes on. Uh, they, they used to call us crazies, but now I don't think anybody can call us crazies when you look at the policies they advance. I mean, so... Their position is uh, when the streets run with violence and the left is burning down buildings, we should defund the police or when uh, uh, what we should do is also allow uh, criminals. We can arrest them. But since making them put up a cash bond would not be nice uh, and might might mean that some who don't have the resources get out. What we should do is just abolish cash bail, which I don't think the average American understands. But we abolish it and let them all out on the street literally within minutes, at most hours of when they commit their crimes. And we're shocked that they go out and commit those same crimes again. But but the bizarre nature of their character just keeps going on and on. So if you have a young if you have a daughter, a female child in America today and you want her, it turns out that you're into athletics and she's into athletics and she wants to compete, compete. you have to just say to her, well, great, we think you ought to compete, but don't get your hopes up too much because at any point along the line, once uh, you know, you've gotten, if you get really good in your given sport, some uh, individual claiming to be a female who is biologically not a female can step in and wipe out your chances of competing. And we define that as normal. Uh, So uh, 
I heard a congressional candidate in Michigan a few while a little while back, and he said, you know, as a party, uh, this is now us arguing for normal to a return to normal, and them arguing for crazy. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It really only leads me when when you open with with with, with that pretty good universe of of where we live right now um the only question i have is when you running again (laughs) no i won't i won't put you on the spot although i would i would delight in in you doing so what do you think will happen tuesday well i think it's looking more and more like uh, i I guess i I, i'm hesitant to say a red wave Mm -hmm. because i really don't want to take anything for granted Mm -hmm. um i actually i've been occupied with this thought for the last few days. And that is this. I genuinely believe this is the most important election of our lifetime. Not that 2024 won't be more important, but you cannot understate or, or I'm sorry, you cannot overstate how important this election is. This is a, uh, a flat out uh, referendum on whether we want to continue to let the government uh, take our money and then use that money for things we don't agree with, including using that money to buy our votes, which is what uh, the woke leftists and progressives in this country want to do. They genuinely believe that they know better how to run our lives than we do, which is exactly what uh, Reagan was warning us. But they genuinely believe that, and they've now decided that they can openly carry it right out into the public and admit that they think they can run our lives better and that they think it's perfectly appropriate to try to buy our votes. Uh, you know, almost for the last 90 days, you can't figure out a single thing that Biden has done that hasn't been w- one of two things. One, an attempt to tell us that we should hate each other. Uh, I call it the red wall speech. In the red wall speech, he called for Americans to be Afraid and suspicious, afraid and suspicious of half of the rest of the country and, and, and that they are a danger to us. And that's shocking. The other thing he spent his time doing is saying, well, I'll buy you back into office. Just vote for me. Uh, I know I'm not popular, but here are the different things I will give you. For example, if you have student loan debt, we'll just forgive it. Uh, and and policy after policy. Last night, I think in the speech, he bragged that the increase for Social Security recipients this year was going to be the biggest maybe ever, certainly the biggest in recent time. By dint of his efforts. And, and he says, well, that it is his efforts. It's because he it spent us into inflation. And of course, the formula calls for uh, people receiving Social Security to get an inflation adjustment. Mm-hmm. But somehow he thinks that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got a flash. I, I'll bet you that 99 out of 100 Social Security recipients would rather ha- not have the inflation Absolutely. and not get the adjustment. Absolutely right. Uh, it, it's just uh, it, it really is uh, the policies that uh, most Republicans are advocating uh, and trying to uh, focus on are a return to what has been long considered in this country normal. Mm-hmm. And the policies that the left is focusing, focusing on are, are borderline crazy. I mean, to, to, to say to a young woman, 
Uh, I don't care if you're the best golfer in your state, some uh, person who may be transgender is going to be allowed to compete against you, even though their bodies are physically very different, and, and you don't get to win for that class of people who are female because this person has decided that uh, he is female. And well, shame on those who point this out, by the way. Yes. There's a, there's, a, there's a heavy dollop of that. You know, there's no modern conservative movement without Barry Goldwater, arguably no Barry Goldwater without the work of your family, your daddy. I was looking at a speech Barry Goldwater gave in 1960. We're going to get to some 64 stuff with you in a moment because you and I were both attracted by an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that, that spoke about Reagan's time for choosing speech in 64. But in 1960... It was a small effort for Goldwater to be nominated. Obviously, didn't go very far, and Nixon Nixon got the nod. But in that speech, it was the let's grow up conservative speech. He said Barry Goldwater uh, was warning about voting for the Democratic Party is to vote for a blueprint for socialism. That was his phrase. Maybe your daddy gave it to him, but it was a hell of a phrase, the blueprint for socialism, which means the architecture of, of socialism. It means the plan for it. It's not a blueprint anymore, John, if I may say so. I think it's kinetic, it's active, and it's here. And that's why I think this election is so damn important. I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Back then, to say that out loud was frowned upon, mm-hmm. uh, and and you were looked down upon if you said that out loud. Uh, but we have moved pretty consistently in that direction every day. When you and I were kids in high school, if you'd have said, well, I'm a Marxist, and I absolutely believe that's the best system for governing the country, 80 or maybe – Ninety-nine percent of the kids in your class would have said Marxism. Really? Let's someone talk told about me the it. other day. Someone was telling me, you know, growing up in the '60s, um, parents were saying things like, "You can marry anyone you want. Marry a black person. Marry an Indian person. Marry." I said, "Just don't marry a communist." <laughs> right? That was really kind of the notion, and here it's become uh, so very normalized, not only outwardly and 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 verbally and rhetorically. But in the culture as well. I mean, when you look at some of the stuff the New York Times is saying about Karl Marx, some of the stuff Teen Vogue. I mean, this is the 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 stakes are very high right now. And I there's the music. We have to take a quick commercial break. Let's you and I come back a little bit on that, and let's take a let's take a little bit of a walk through that 1964 Reagan speech, if you don't mind. Sure, well. happy to. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Congressman John Shattig, and he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I'm Seth. More importantly, the man sitting across from me in studio is the great John Shattig. I uh, asked him on the break if there was anything I wanted to, uh, you would like me to mention that he might be promoting a book or anything like that. He said, you know, I just promote freedom. God love you, John. God love you. Thank you, sir. Uh, we were talking uh, about uh, what's going to happen Tuesday, and we're kind of talking about the times we're in. You and I uh, were both kind of interested in a piece Dan Crenshaw wrote for the Wall Street Journal about a week ago, uh, The Time for Choosing Speech of Ronald Reagan's, um, which some people think was at the 1964 convention on behalf of Goldwater. It wasn't. It was uh, a million-dollar half-hour ad buy um, that aired on NBC on behalf of the Goldwater campaign. Henry Salvatore put up the money. 
Uh, my teacher, someone you knew, um, Harry Jaffa, was yep. the Henry Salvatore professor at Claremont McKenna. But it was a speech that not only changed, um, not, perhaps not that election, but it changed the course of the conservative movement and, of course, put Ronald Reagan firmly into uh, into the constellation of stars that allowed him to uh, be elected president 16 years later. John, you look at that speech. I was rereading it knowing we were going to talk today. And uh, he that this is where they start really seriously from Barry Goldwater's 1960 speech to 64, very seriously start warning about socialism. He uh, warned about it seven times. He used the word seven times in that speech. He used the word Marx once. Um, and, you know, and, and this was the speech that you were I mean, maybe we all echo it now. But when you were talking about, you know, a, a group of elites, hand selected elites in Washington, D.C., who make decisions for us that we don't even hardly know about until after the fact or that it's too late. Um, this was part and parcel of the Reagan speech in 64, warning about the um, unelected bureaucrats. Um, he would speak about that again and again and again with the refrain uh, that. I've always asked the question, he said, a refrain of, of a version of, I've always asked the question, if uh, if no man is good enough to govern himself, how is anyone good enough to govern someone else? And uh, as, as we surrendered more and more to the welfare state, more and more to the elite, more and more to the, uh, to the bureaucracy. Um, what about that speech? What about Dan Crenshaw's point uh, in the Wall Street Journal, that we should all take another look at that speech. What about that sung to you? What about that op-ed and that speech uh, raised your eyebrows? Well, I guess there are a lot of things. Uh, a part of it was that Crenshaw makes the point that this election is one more fight in the battle over what direction we are going to go uh, in this nation. We can either choose, and the speech title was A Time for Choosing, we can either choose to surrender our own individual authority and power and decision-making, to surrender individual responsibility and freedom to an elite set of government bureaucrats thousands of miles away uh, who claim to know better how to run our lives than we do, or... We can choose to take the risk, and he talks about the risk in the speech, of being free and of taking responsibility for our own lives. And from the, I would argue, from the day of that speech to today, the government has always in the name of good mm -hmm. uh, tried to uh, persuade the body politic that they would be better off taking some government benefit uh, and allowing the government then to also take some element of freedom. So they, so they, they, first of all, they tax you for your money. Then they agree to give a little bit of your money back to you if you will vote for them. But they don't talk about the fact that what that means is that you are also selling your freedom. Mm -hmm. And and he makes the point that that's the fight again today, as it was in 1960 and 1964 and is in 2022, which is do we as a nation choose to be free and to accept the responsibility and burden of free choice or do we uh, choose to be subjects uh, 
of a government that knows uh, better than we do what we should do with our lives. And it's the same fight then as it was now, except that the proponents of the socialist view or of the collectivist view are uh, stunningly more open and candid and uh, forthright in saying, yes, we, we want to take away your freedom uh, and we will give you back some money for it. Uh, but but you no longer get to make a lot of the decisions that you might otherwise make. Uh, I, I talked about crazy, how their party is now the party of the crazies. What person would say it it makes sense for American taxpayers and parents to to uh, pay substantial taxes to run the schools in their neighborhood and to teach their kindergartners and first graders and second and third and on up and to have that school say, yep, you get to pay for this education, which will provide your kids, but you can't know the curriculum. Or have a say in it. Or have a say in it. You can't even know if we're teaching critical race theory. And, oh, by the way, if you have ask a passing question about it, we'll change the name so you don't realize it's critical race theory, but but we're going to do what we want to do. And no, you're not entitled to know what books are in the library or what your uh, second grade teacher uh, is being told is the curriculum that he or she has to teach to your student. The notion that parents have no right to be involved in the substance of their child's education is crazy. It's just nuts. And unleashing police, or at least the threat of it from the FBI, is a chilling effect, the likes of which I haven't. McCarthy never dreamed of that kind of thing. Absolutely not. This This is the Attorney General of the United States saying, don't you parents dare right. go and try to speak out uh, at your school board meeting and ask what the curriculum is or ask to see it because in the room will be my FBI agents. Right. Uh, no, McCarthy would never have dreamed of going that far. And yet the sitting attorney general uh does it and does it openly and admittedly. It's shocking. Now, I want people to remember this is the sitting attorney general, Merrick Garland, who we were told was the moderate Democrat or the moderate liberal when he was put up for the Supreme Court by Barack Obama. This is their definition of moderation, which is kind of an interesting way to end this segment. We'll maybe pick up on this when we come back, John, if it's okay with you. You know, I am I am so worried about this election. I mean, my prediction is along the lines of yours, but I'm so worried about it when I look at uh, the Fetterman race, for example. How is it possible in a state that gave us Rick Santorum not that long ago that this 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 man, John Fetterman, is 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 beating pretty much in every poll. He is beating us. Now, I know it's thinning out a little bit or it's 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 uh, shrinking a little bit. But this guy should be 20 points behind, not a half a percent up. I wonder if this still is a center country. The leftism and the liberalism has grown so much. If I might ask you to address that when we come yep, back. Would that I'd be, be happy okay? to. I'm Seth Liebson. He's John Shattuck. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I'm Seth. I am um, delighted to have in studio with me uh, a real hero to our movement and to me personally, uh, Congressman John Shattuck. 
And we're talking about the state of the country and the state of the fuselage, uh, the wingspan of liberalism and conservatism in this country. We used to kind of, John, and you were in Congress, we would always say, you know, we're, we're still effectively a center-right country. That phrase was all over the place. We're a center-right country. Um, and I have to tell you, I still have my doubts. I look at the Fetterman race. I look at how close and narrow some of these other races that should be runaways for conservatives, runaways for Republicans. Pennsylvania is kind of an interesting, you know, dipstick of a state, a pretty good measurement of uh, uh, bellwether or used to be anyway. What explains this? Have 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 the cultural institutions been so impacted by progressivism and socialism that this country has changed without us kind of knowing it? And there just, it turns out, happened to be an awful lot of leftism or an awful, awful lot of leftists in this country. I'm looking for any other explanation you may have or any thoughts you may have on that. Um, I guess I would begin by uh, sometimes, you know, the challenge, the premise of the question. Okay. Um, the premise of the question, and and I hadn't really thought about this deeply until uh, I guess I got to Congress and heard Newt often refer to America as a center-right country. Yeah. And I think the mistake in that analysis Seth, is that that assumes that the body politic, the American people, have a set, a deep set of political or philosophical beliefs. And I think that's wrong. I think they have a set of values. And I think those values, by and large, embrace what you and I would call uh, traditional American values, mm-hmm. which are uh, if you want to get ahead, you have to um, work hard. You have to be disciplined. You have to be you have to take responsibility for your own life. You have to take responsibility uh, for your performance when you're in school. You have to take responsibility for your performance when you are out in the job market, that you cannot sit back and uh, be lackadaisical or flat-out lazy in the performance of your of your work as a member of society and expect to be rewarded. And I think we're a nation that believes in uh, rewarding hard work and believes in recognizing people that, that go the extra mile, that maybe... Uh, I heard the other day a, a TV broadcaster say the way he got ahead wasn't because he was good le- looking. He got ahead because he got to work uh, before anybody in his early years, and he left after, after everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when you talk about being center-right, I think that assumes that they understand what center-right is. And I think they, they don't because I don't think most people have a developed fil- political philosophy. Uh, what they think about, and I think that they're right to think about it, is they think about how do I get through today? How do I get uh, Johnny to the Little League game or the Little League practice? Or how do I get uh, Susie to her soccer practice? Or how do I get uh, Billy to his inst- instrument practice? And how do I get, what am I going to serve for dinner? So it then falls upon the leaders of the country including the media, to present to them the message about 
okay, here's how the nation can do well or not do well. And I think the left uh, long ago saw the need to take over the education establishment and succeeded. And they began to uh, not necessarily convert students to socialists, but at least undermine some of the thinking. But I think they also recognized that the media uh, was a place that they could do that. And um, they have eaten away, not necessarily at um, advancing Marxism or socialism, but advancing a kind of an open-minded, well, anything's okay. And, you know, having certain values of hard work uh, and long hours and being truthful and caring about your fellow man, uh, those aren't all that important anymore because we don't, we don't, that's the old stuff. That's what the old people believed was that you had to live by that set of American values, that you had to go help the guy that owned the farm next door raise his barn. Well, we don't so much think those things are right anymore. We now are more open-minded and more accepting. And, you know, the guy that doesn't want to work very hard, maybe we shouldn't make him. No less than Nancy Pelosi, who's in the news a lot right now, said when Obamacare was being debated, if you, when you get to that point in life when you're making a decision, want to spend the rest of your life just playing the guitar and you don't want to ever have to work at it or write any songs that sell for any value, she said you ought to get free health care. Let me pause on that. We'll take a quick commercial break and pick up when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, my only real regret so far today is that we only booked you for an hour, John. I, I'd love you to come back and do three hours, maybe post-election analysis. We'll do it uh, if you happy, have the time. I happy guess, to come back anytime. I, I would love that, uh, and maybe maybe for the whole show. John Shattuck is our guest. We were just talking about how this country, through cultural institutions, has become so political. You're, I agree with you. I don't think it's healthy that we so politicize everything, and I don't think it's good for people to focus so much on politics. C.S. Lewis has this great line that a sane society should think about politics the way uh, a sick man thinks about medicine. If he's thinking about it all the time, there's something really wrong. Must be sick. All the right. Time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you're right. So the education system, but they didn't stop with the education. Um, my gosh, NBA, NFL, the Department of Defense, which <laughs> thought that was not uh, impregnable. Um, news, obviously. So over time, you're right. There was a winnowing, uh, a, a whittling away of these um, time-tested uh, propositions of right and wrong, and good and hard and decent working people. Uh, and I have to tell you, yeah, in our education system, and certainly through the BLM movement and some of this other stuff, what you've heard from General Milley, a um, sanitation of Marxism. Um, and I think it, 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 it does bring us to a place where this country is very different than what Reagan and Goldwater were looking at in 1960, and your dad in 1964. But continue on, so, because we are in a political moment, and now is the right time to take this medicine. I guess the, other, the, the, next, the point where I was going to go is that it's up to us, and, and we have to decide, and this may in fact be the year or, or one of the years in which we have decided that where they would take us is not where we want to go. That their brave new world of uh, let's let's reduce uh, the funding of police and mm -hmm. let criminals have free run. 
let's allow uh, criminals who have been arrested once just to be back out on the street with uh, no examination of whether that makes society safe. Just look at whether it seems fair that some of them might not have enough money to post a large bond. And so the, the presumption should be they are back out on the street, even though they've committed an entire lifetime of crimes. And, are, and, and, and we now know that when we do put them out, uh, this experience has, has enabled them to commit crimes literally, serially, not over a lifetime, but serially over a matter of days. And, you know, they tried to kill somebody on the first one and then they killed somebody on the second one. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think as Americans, uh, uh, going back to the whole issue of are we center right or are there more liberals out there? Mm-hmm. I think it is true that uh, a lot of the left spends 24 hours a day thinking about their ideal about their notion that, well, there really are a group of smart people that can run the country better and know better for us. I mean, clearly Hillary Clinton, when she says the deplorables, you know, she has contempt for the average American. You know, she says uh, their basket of deplorables. She does not view those people, which means she does not view you and me uh, and and all the people that are listening to us right now as capable of managing our own lives, much less running the government. Right. So she has to take that power away from us. And because that requires a change from 1950s America or 1940s America, they're pushing hard for their radical change. And now they're, they've made enough progress and eaten away at our values enough that they can say, yeah, we kind of favor socialism or maybe a Marxist system would be better. And they, they are uh, unwilling to look at history and see either that Marxism uh, rendered more people dead and more people in poverty or socialism did the same thing. And that if you want to look at what has lifted more people up in the entire world right. through all of history, right. it's been capitalism. Yeah. Uh, it's, the it arsenal actually, of democracy, we used to call it, right? It's not only been capitalism. Int- interestingly, it's also been energy. Right. And it's interesting that now they are focusing uh, a, a huge portion of their attack on energy. Mm-hmm. If you look at the world where people die at very young ages because they have to heat their huts with cow dung or animal dung, uh, and you say, wow, if we just electrified that little community, the people there would live 5, 10, 15 years longer And then you look at the left and they say, oh, no, 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 Uh, oil is evil and we need to get rid of that. And if that means those poor people in some backwater area have to keep burning dung uh, to heat their homes, well, uh, that's too bad. And if they live, you know, uh, to be only 40 or 50 or 60, well, too bad here in the rest of the world, we're we're uh, doing just fine because we'll generate our electricity with windmills and and uh, solar panels. It doesn't seem to show that we care much about humanity. That deplorables comment really set off something. You thought they would have walked back from it over time. You would have thought that they would have seen that as a mistake. Instead, I think they saw it as a blueprint. Use that word again. Exactly. When you think of the anathema of the Republican Party as a party of fascists or semi-fascists. Joe Biden called us semi-fascists several times. But the head of the DNC, the head of the Democratic National Committee, twice this year by my count on national television, said we are a party, the Republican Party is a party of fascism and fear. It's, it's yes, it's a marginalization, but it's, it's, it's also um, 
it's almost a party purge. I mean, it's so redolent of what Stalin and every totalitarian since has tried to do, which is purge their country of those whose beliefs cannot be tolerated by the dominating party, right? Absolutely. That's what they have to do to to be able to seize power, and that's what they, uh, uh, with great passion, uh, try to do uh, continuously. And and it's also, if if it's funny to hear them call us the party of power or a party of power, uh, um, fascism or fascism. Yeah. Uh, when, if you look at it, uh, their party, I think the biggest change I've seen in my lifetime is that it's now very obvious that their party, their view can only prevail if they promote hatred amongst people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and perhaps the best illustration of that was the Red Wall speech, mm-hmm. where the president of the United Sto- States stood up and said, you know, your biggest threat. Mrs. Smith, in your living room in Kansas, is your neighbors and uh, the other people in that town in Kansas who aren't Democrats and don't think what I think. Right. Uh, they're the threat. Mm-hmm. And, and it really goes back to identity politics. Uh, one of the things I like to note is it is, I believe, and maybe somebody will prove me wrong, but it is true that there was a time in America when literally uh, – Almost all Americans, certainly the vast majority, said we want a chicken in every pot mm-hmm. and a car in every driveway. Mm-hmm. And they didn't say we want a chicken in every white person's pot right. uh, or a car in every uh, uh, Italian's driveway. It was a chicken in everyone's pot and, it, and a new car in everyone's driveway. Well, why did they say that? They said that because they had thought first of themselves as Americans mm-hmm. – not as black or white and not as Italian or German or English, but as Americans. And they knew that if the neighbor did better than it was and, and had a chicken in his pot that day or had a new car in the driveway, it was only a matter of time because they were fellow Americans right. that they would have a chicken in their pot wow. and a car in their driveway. That's right. That's, so that's identity right. politics is essential to them. They've got to get us to hate each other or we'll never turn over uh, all of our powers to them, which is their ultimate desire. That's well put. Let me let me uh, take a quick commercial break, John. And uh, when we come back, we'll have some concluding thoughts. I'm Seth. He's John Shadigan. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us, uh, and thank you to John Shattig, my last-hour guest uh, here today, uh, for spending his time and brain with us. Uh, John, I'm going to let you take us out uh, as we head into um, in, into an election less than a week away and give you final thoughts on the show today. Well, I appreciate that. Um, uh, in a way, uh, I don't know exactly how it happened other than that I was born in the Shattig household, but... Uh, <laughs> My most uh, my deepest passion is for freedom and an appreciation of what the founding fathers did in creating this country. But as a part of that, you know, in the Shattuck household, we got steeped in elections. Uh, And I guess uh, I I have a thought about the Fetterman race. Um, It is hard to understand when you watch Mr. Fetterman, you can have a moment's sympathy for him. I get that. Um, And I think that is a large part of why he's doing better in the polls, as you noted, than one would think he should. But another part of it is that 
And all too often people don't look at this. You really have to evaluate both candidates. And in this yeah, case, yeah. you look at his opponent, and his opponent has some pretty big warts. Uh, there are some things that aren't appealing. And that takes me to kind of a more fundamental issue. Um, all elections involve both issues and candidates. Mm-hmm. And some of my conservative friends think, well, if this candidate uh, perfectly embodies the conservative philosophy, well, they're going to win yeah. by a landslide. Yeah. But elections aren't about philosophy. Uh, it's a little bitty piece, but it's just a piece. A whole lot of it is about the person. Yeah. Uh, people loved, you started talking about Barry Goldwater. People loved Barry Goldwater because he was a regular guy. He told the truth. They literally, in, my dad ran the first campaign uh, in 52 and then they reelect in 58. And in 58, they literally did man on the street commercials yeah. where they say, you know, so you've got a Senate race going on here. What do you think of Senator Goldwater? Or what do you think of the two candidates? And, and they would literally get, and I think somewhere in some shelf in my house, I have a film that says, or a tape that says it. Well, I don't agree with everything he says, but you got, you know, he's telling the truth. Yeah. He, you know, he tells you what he really believes. Yeah. And they love that because there was a genuineness. I think Fetterman has done better in the polls all along, not because of Fetterman, but because in part of his opponent. That takes me to my last point is you can't sit on your duff. Um, we have, what, five days left? Um, every person who cares about the future of this country and believes the way Seth Liebson does and the way John Shattuck does needs to make a minimum of five calls Good. before next Monday Perfect. to your five best friends. It can be 10 calls, but you need to call your five or 10 best friends before next Tuesday and tell them how important it is to vote and that they've got to swallow some of the warts in our candidates. This time around, uh, some of the Republican candidates aren't perfect. Well, guess what? God doesn't make perfect people. Uh, he nice. did one. Uh, <laughs> not since. Say, but let me, let me close since. it there before we hit. Uh, so, but I... my point is, and then on Election Day itself, you got to call those five or ten again and say to them, hey, have you voted? And if they haven't, you got to get them to vote. God bless you, John. Thank you. And to the rest of you, I am Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.